Wow, praise the Lord. So good to see you here in Bible study tonight. And uh, tonight we're going to be studying. I love it when we can uh, study chronologically right in order with the events and what took place in the record of the Holy Scripture. So tonight we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 14. And uh, we're going to be looking at extravagant devotion to Jesus that took place over 2,000 years ago on this same night in this same season of uh, this great, amazing story that we are a part of, and that is the redemption story of Jesus Christ. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to just reveal Himself to us through His Word tonight. Father God, we thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy and Your blessings and Your power and Your presence and Your anointing. Thank You for redemption, Lord. We thank You that You did love us enough to go to the cross and shed your blood to pay off our debt so that if we place our faith in you and our hope in you and our trust in you that we could be redeemed and born again and Lord God, what the enemy meant for evil could get turned for good and we could get on the path of righteousness and Lord God, move forward in the blessings and all that you have for us. Lord, as we study your word, our mind needs to be renewed. Lord, you know we're born in a fallen world. It's not a world that belongs to the devil, but it was a world that was given over to the devil by Adam and Eve, and they're yielding their authority. But God, you came through your Son to restore that authority back to us. And Lord God, let us not passively let the enemy do whatever he wants. Let us have our minds renewed, that our hearts can believe and receive and move and and exercise the authority that we have, that we can advance your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord God, we're not here just passively to take time up. We're not here just to show a devotion to you, Lord God. Lord, we're here to have our minds renewed. Holy Spirit, we give you permission. We we beseech you, Holy Spirit, to come and renew our minds so that we can rise up in a new level of faith to believe, Lord God, to move and to exercise the authority that you've given us to exercise your authority here on this earth, Lord God, that we might be your hands and feet and your mouth this night. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We never study the Word of God just to be studying it. Uh, you know, and if we did, it w- wouldn't hurt us for sure. But I want us to ever be mindful that our minds have to be renewed. Otherwise, we're going to be pressed into the mold of this world. Uh, Be not conformed to this world. Let me tell you what, there's a pressure on us, pushing us at all times to be in the mold of this world. But we need to be transformed. We need to experience that metamorphosis and truly move to that next level of our creative order. And to do that, we have to have our minds renewed. And God tells us that our minds are renewed by His Word and by His Spirit. So we welcome the Holy Spirit. Say, I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to teach me. I welcome you to be my teacher tonight. For the Bible says that He would teach us in all things. And, and, and I love it that He can take the, 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 the bumblings of the words that I would even say and, and the you know, fallible things that I, as I am definitely still learning as a student, but how He can take that and Holy Spirit can speak to you individually with a rhema word and, and, and make that revelation and understanding and illumination so real to you. Thank you, Lord that you look beyond our fault and you see our need. Amen. And, uh, and I pray that he'll do that here tonight as well. Here in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 14, we come upon uh, the historical record of this very night that we're here tonight as well. And uh, we read about how the chief priest and, and, and the scribes, they are beginning to execute their plan to kill Jesus. And it's also in this same time that we see that Judas is working behind the, the scenes to betray Jesus. And, and we see as we study Mark 14, it is amazing. Got to remember now that, that, that God breathed the, the Scripture, that this is given of the Holy Spirit, that God has given us this record in this way. This was not just left up to Mark. This was, this was a moving and a ministry of the Holy Spirit in giving us what we call Mark chapter 14. And if you go back to that uh, first screen there, we're seeing that here God deliberately, through the Holy Spirit, He sandwiches the story of this woman's uh, amazing devotion to Jesus Christ between the conspiracy to kill Him and the plan of betrayal. 
And, and in Mark sandwiching this method, uh, putting this middle story there, it really spotlights the story and, and it makes it the point of what we're studying here uh, as he contrasts the devotion of this woman and the betrayal of Judas and the conspiracy of the scribes and the, high, and the priests there that want to destroy Jesus' life. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the first bun of the conspiracy to kill Jesus as the story unfolds, and we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at it in the way the Holy Spirit has given to us. So now we can go on to Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. So here we've had the triumphal entry of Jesus as we just celebrated Palm Sunday, this Sunday. And now it's uh, moved into a day of like Wednesday where we're at right now. And we're two days before the Passover. So we're kind of like right on the time schedule tonight as to the, ni as to the night that we're talking about here. So uh, it says that it was only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So here we are coming up on Passover. We can put that chart up there now. These are, this is the first of the seven feasts that God tells us are feasts unto him. These are the feasts of the Lord. Please don't say they're Jewish feasts because you would think there's just a cultural feast there. These are the feasts of the Lord. Now, it's good that the Jews, as they were, came into covenant with God and saw that God had a covenant with them that through their bloodline that He was going to bring forth the Messiah and, and uh, how they were to be the example. Thank God uh, that we've got that in the Scripture. But these are feasts of the Lord. And as we look at the four uh, spring feasts, or we're almost getting ready this Friday to enter into Passover. And as we know, Passover corresponds with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And, and we see that as they took back in Egypt and put the blood of the Lamb, that spotless Lamb, they would put the blood of the Passover Lamb over the doorposts and the lentil with the hyssop branch. They were the death angel that would come for that final plague. When he would see the blood... He would pass over that house. That household would be saved. Now the Egyptians, many of them, the scripture tells us, saw what God was doing and the God of the Israelites was, was the true God that they found refuge in Israel, in Goshen, and that they were experiencing the blessing of God. They were like prefiguring us as the Gentiles who would be grafted into the vine, and they too got to experience the miraculous, just like when there was darkness, the plague of darkness over all of Egypt. The Bible says there was light in Goshen. And when the Egyptians, some of them saw this, they converted and they said, the God of these Israelites is the God that I will serve. Isn't it good to know that God has an open-door policy, that he's not, he's not angry at us, and that He's not mad at us, and looking at our bloodline before us? Because if many of us would study our ancestral tree, we would find there's a lot of evil there. Could have been a lot of evil there. Just as you and I, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But let me tell you what, God has an open door and He has a, he has a plan of redemption for all of us. Isn't that good to know? No matter what you've ever done, no matter what your family has ever done, God has a plan of redemption for you. You can call out on the name of Jesus Christ, even right now. You can call out to the Lord Jesus and say, come, be my Lord, be my God. And you can have the blood of the Lamb placed over your life. And let me tell you what, that plague of death could pass over you as well. That eternal death, that eternal separation of God will be passed over you. And you will live with the Lord forever. Our God's a good God. Hallelujah. Then the Passover is followed with the unleavened bread. And, uh, and that's a feast that lines up with Jesus Christ and his burial being the uh, lamb of God, spotless, or the man of God that came and lived a sinless life. So he's unleavened. Leavened represents sin. So Jesus made the sinless sacrifice of his life. He was tempted in every way that we are. And as I was saying Sunday, some of you have temptations I've never even thought of. And I may have had 
had temptations that maybe you've never thought of, but Jesus was tempted with everything that every one of us, he had to pass the test. Can you imagine the pressure? Can you imagine the weight of the temptation? But he said no to the devil. He said no to sin. And he did everything that was possible to make himself the spotless sacrifice for you and me. He is the unleavened bread. There was no yeast. There is no sin found in him. That's why his blood qualifies to be the sinless blood to pay off our sinful account, stamp paid in full. That is why the scripture says, says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So stop living under condemnation. If you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you need to rise up as the righteousness of God in Christ. And if you know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ, you will always be humble because you know it wasn't you who gained righteousness in your effort, but it's only in Him. And you'll take on the theology that the Apostle Paul shows us throughout the epistles that he has written that it's all about being in Christ. We don't want to find one day of our life where we're not in Christ. We don't want to make one decision in life where we're not in Christ. We don't want to rise up and, and move to the right or the left unless we are in Christ because it's in Him. That is our salvation. That is our hope of glory. That is the fullness of God's plan for us in that relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray tonight that you would examine yourself and see that if there's ever anything that is jeopardizing your relationship with Jesus Christ, you would deal with it and you would deal with it suddenly. You would never allow the very tiny edge or the point of a wedge to come in between you and Jesus Christ. Because know this, that if it longer it stays, the wedge will take you further and further from Him. And the way the enemy works is like the frog being slowly boiled to death. The devil will start it out small and he will bring in whatever infraction he can to get between you and God, no matter what distraction it is or no matter what temptation it is. And it doesn't seem bad in the beginning, but let me tell you what, with every day that you move in that direction, it'll take you further and further away from the Lord, and you won't even realize that you're boiling in the pot of water that's slowly being heated up. I pray that you would be like the frog that's thrown into the scalding pot of hot water, and he says, "Whoa, this is too hot, and jumps out. So I don't want to go the way that is going to lead me separate from my God. So then unleavened bread, we see the third day uh, after Passover, we have uh, first fruits, and that is, uh, corresponds with Jesus' resurrection. As the scripture tells us, he is the first fruit from the grave. Hallelujah. And if he's the first fruit, that means there's much fruit to follow. So you and I are the fruit that shall follow. That's why the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, let me tell you what, the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You can know that even though to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, there's a day coming where your body too will be resurrected and glorified. And God has made that uh, the example with His Son Jesus Christ being the first fruit. Jesus didn't only come out of the grave spiritually. He didn't only come out of the grave as a soulish. He came out of the grave bodily as well. And as the first fruit, you can know that your body will be resurrected and glorified. I, I, I think it's quite uh, amazing that every, uh, uh, every graveyard I've ever gone to, and I, I, I've gone to many just looking at the dates and the scriptures and the different and things that were written and uh, they all are set to where the head is facing the east and uh, every time and even uh, the most recent funeral I did uh, you know I go there and the director of the funeral home will always say pastor the head will be right here they always tell you the pastor the head will be right here uh, because uh, they're going to put the head there facing the east for that resurrection day I love it you can go in other countries and you will see this to be true praise the Lord even atheists do it and they don't even realize why they do it because there is going to be a day hallelujah that the first fruits that was represented through that that empty tomb where Jesus Christ was resurrected is going to be the first fruit of that which we shall follow. Our bodies will... God's got a plan for it. Some people say, well, what will my body look like in heaven? I, 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 it's glorified. So I can tell you what, it, it's going to be good. You say, well, what age will I be in heaven? I, I really don't know. Your glorified age. And you know, I don't know what that will be. Just trust the Lord with that. Trust the Lord with that. 
Sometimes you're trying to figure out what you can't know until you get there will drive you nuts and everybody around you. Just trust what God at His Word. Amen. So we see that the uh, Feast of First Fruits is going to be what we're celebrating Sunday, Friday night. We'll have Good Friday here. We'll be uh, having our Passover. And uh, many years we've even done a full Seder meal. And uh, we're not doing that this year, but maybe next year we'll turn this into a big banquet hall because we've gotten a little too big for the fellowship hall. And, uh, and, and, go, and we do a teaching through each and every thing that's represented in the Passover meal. Uh, but uh, we encourage you as we come together uh, Friday night, we're going to have communion as that's when the Lord's Supper was uh, uh, instituted and Jesus had set that forth uh, at Passover. We're going to have that part of the Passover meal we're going to have. And we call that the meal that heals. Hallelujah. So if you know of anybody that needs healing in their body and you need anybody, know anybody that needs breakthrough and deliverance or, or anything from God, bring them out on Friday night. I'm going to preach my tongue on the floor and I'm going to get somebody's faith, faith so high that we're going, to, we're going to take that communion and we're going to receive our breakthrough and we're going to receive our fullness and we're going to receive the anointing of God like maybe we've never done before. I'm praying that everybody that walks in here bent down is going to leave out of here standing standing tall with the full provision that Jesus Christ has provided for us in His death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. So then, 50 days after first fruit, we see there is the Feast of Pentecost, which is our birthday. That's the church's birthday. When Jesus told the disciples that they needed to tarry in Jerusalem until they received from on high power, because He says, I'm raising up a powerhouse. I'm raising up a powerhouse. He said the first Adam gave the authority away. The second Adam came to undo what the first Adam did. And I'm the last Adam. We don't need another Adam. And now I'm just going to give this authority to the church. That's why Jesus, when he came forth out of the tomb, he said, I have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. But I give all authority unto you over all the power of the enemy and that he by no means shall harm you. And he says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And we know we don't talk about God's heaven. We don't need to bind anything there. But there's this heavenlies that this spiritual wickedness and, and rulers of darkness uh, rule from that we need to do some binding and loosing, right? So he says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let me tell you what. There's some things the devil th thinks that he can do the rest of his life here on this earth. And it's time the church put a stop to it it's time we put bind him and put a stop to it and how do you do it you bind him with the word of faith you take the word of God you speak it out of your mouth life and death is in the power of the tongue you can say to this mountain be removed you can resist the devil and he shall flee we not need to exercise our authority amen that the Holy Spirit has given us and we need to advance the kingdom of God being light and being salt God has called us. He has destined us. He taught us how to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to see His kingdom come in and through His church. So He told the disciples, you need power in order to do this. And I'll build my church. I'll be a part of it. I'm going to build it with a powerhouse. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. So that's Pentecost, and now that ushers us into the church age. So that green column you see, that's us right there, the church age. We're looking back, celebrating with uh, fulfillment of all that has taken place through the spring feast, but we're looking forward with great expectation and great faith, knowing that the God of the four spring feasts, feast, who has fulfilled them to the, to the perfect moment of time, is going to fulfill fulfill the fall feasts which are yet to come the first being trumpets hallelujah corresponds with that rapture call of God where he's going to raise up his church he's going to resurrect all each and every one of us and we're going to meet the Lord in the air and then there's the, uh, the, the feast of atonement that where he's coming back again like he said he was he's going to place his feet on
on this earth again like he said he was. Hallelujah. We're going to be coming with him to rule and reign and find our assignments in advancing his plan. And then there's the Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful feast that is. I love explaining that one. Oh my goodness, I get so, so, so blessed every time we go through that is that uh, corresponds with the Messianic kingdom age that God is going to set up. Let me tell you what, God's, God's got a plan. You think the devil is, is doing everything he wants and it's all up to the devil? No, no, no. God has a plan, but you and I are a part of that plan. So as we study his word, I pray that our faith would rise, our confidence would rise, our understanding would rise, our knowledge of who we are, whose we are, and what we are here to do. We're not just here to pass time. We're not just here to live 80, 90, 120 years just to take up time or add another uh, little leaf to a branch of an ancestry tree. We have an assignment. We have a purpose. We have a destiny, each and every one of us. And you say, well, I'm not a pastor. Thank God we're not all pastors. They're crazy. No, I didn't say that. You know, we, we don't need all pastors. We, we, need, we need everyone doing what you were created to do. I'm telling you, if we were all big toes, we'd never be able to pick up anything. And if we were all fingers, we'd never be able to walk anywhere. We've got to find who we are created by God and, who, and what part of the body and, and be that. Be that with all that we have. God says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And I pray here at Christian Embassy, that is never the case for you. That you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth. You will act on the truth. You will walk in the truth. And the Word of God will become the foundation you build upon so that when the storms of life come, that you will stand strong. Amen. That's our prayer. So as we're studying this, it is, well, here we are on a Wednesday evening with Jesus, and uh, Mark has sandwiched this event, saying on this Wednesday night, just like tonight, uh, there's uh, this conspiracy that has taken place, uh, the top of the bun of this sandwich, there's this conspiracy that is going on with the, pre the high priest and, and with the scribes and the teachers of the law, they're, they're, they're like, we gotta get, we gotta get him, we gotta get him, we gotta hush silence what he's here to do. We know the enemy has inspired that, but they, uh, and they don't see him for who he is, so they, they just want to take him out. And then the other part of the bun, the lower part, Judas, he is there uh, you know, with his greed looking at how you know, there's the negotiations. How much will it cost? How much will I take to sell out the one whom I've spent all this time with. So now the Passover and the festi uh, festival of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So they said, you know what? We, we want to get him, but we don't want to get him during the festival, during the pa Passover, and the reason being is they said, look at all the people who have come in to celebrate Passover. This is an inopportune time. This is not a good time for us to uh, get our scheme working in full, full measure because the people may riot. So uh, we find that you know, the Jews were coming to celebrate Passover. Uh, the Jews believed that the Messiah would be revealed. And they thought the Messiah was going to come to deliver them from the Roman bondage, but they were expecting the Messiah to be revealed during Passover. And, and, and it's like these chief priests and these scribes, you know, it's like they believed more than the disciples believed. They believed more than the disciples believed. I pray today the devil don't believe more in the plan of God than you believe in the plan of God. Now the devil's going to believe in the plan of God because he's never been able to thwart it. He's never been able to outsmart God. And he's never been able to stop the plan of God. So anybody who's demonically inspired against God has got faith believing that the plan of God is moving forward. But what we don't want is we don't want the devil believing God more than we believe God. So I challenge you tonight, don't let no demon believe more about God and what he said and what he's going to do than you do. Put your faith in the Lord. Put your faith in the Word of God. And if God has said it, know, know in your heart, in your mind, until you know in your heart that this is true. This is more true than what I see. 
This is more true than what I feel. This is more true than what I hear. This is more true than whatever the devil's trying to throw against my mind. I'm standing with the truth. Hallelujah. So here they're trying to get their plan together and... And, uh, you know, and as the Jews came to Jerusalem to celebrate their deliverance from Egyptian bondage, as they were looking back, that's what they were celebrating in the Passover. Here, in the midst of that, God is preparing His Son to die on the cross to deliver them and us from our sinful bondage. Let me tell you what, in the midst of our celebration, sometimes we celebrate saying we've celebrated 50 years of life or we've celebrated 30 years of, celebrating 30 years of life or we're celebrating 20 years of marriage or whatever and it's all looking back. But let me tell you what, we need to also be a people of faith and start celebrating forward. And I challenge you tonight, let's celebrate forward. That we're celebrating the, the mighty manifest of the power of God and the glory of God and the righteousness of God and the goodness of God. Uh, I, I love celebrating. When, I, when I, my body comes under attack for sickness, of sickness, and believe you me, the devil's always throwing fiery darts, and somehow or another I didn't have a shield, my shield of faith up, and that fiery dart comes in. I don't woe is me and I don't look back and, and say, well, you know, I start looking forward and I say, by your stripes, I was healed. This is a done deal. So I'm healed. I'm healed. This pain is gone. I'm, I'm, I'm walked. I see myself out of that valley. I see myself out of that bondage. I see myself out of debt. I see myself and I'm celebrating forward. I'm celebrating forward. So I want us to have enough faith to believe that what God's word says is more real than where we're at currently. So we can, we can place our faith and our celebration and our worship in what God has already provided so that it becomes manifest in our lives. So here's the religious leaders. They're trying to plan to kill Jesus, but they said not during Passover. But eventually we know that they did, and it was probably because Judas has stepped in and uh, inspired by Satan, comes in there and says, you know, we can do this thing and do it secretly and do it at night. And while I'm still here, I'm your, I'm your contact man. Uh, we don't know exactly the details there, but we do know that even though they said they didn't want to uh, kill him during the Passover uh, feast, we know eventually they did. They had to because it was prophetically given to us that Jesus is our, would be our Passover lamb. So he had to be killed on Passover, right? So even though they're saying we're not going to do it, we know that the circumstances through Judas and so forth comes to where Jesus did. That's why Jesus said, no man took my life. I lay my life down freely. He came as our Passover lamb. He came. He said, I've come to give my life. Isn't that great to know that a God loves us that much? that he's going to come and fulfill the calendar to the letter of the, of, of the law and to the fulfillment of every second of time to be sure to take care of our redemption. He wants you to live a redeemed life. He wants you to live a life free. He wants you to live a life blessed. He wants you to live a life anointed by him. He's a good God. All oh, that our eyes would open up and see the goodness of the Lord which that is what's happening on the top part of this, but Mark shows us the meat of the sandwich here, is this is in Mark verse 3, chapter 14, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and she poured it on his head. So here now we've got Jesus on this Wednesday night, he is there in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Simon was probably healed by Jesus, and we know he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he was known as Simon the leper, but he's now Simon the leper healed of Jesus. Hallelujah. And, uh, and Bethany is about three kilometers from Jerusalem, a couple of miles uh, outside of Jerusalem. And, and Jesus has been staying at Bethany ever since uh, he had arrived in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. As we saw, he kept going back and forth from Bethany. And so he's staying in this house. And, and a woman anoints Jesus at Simon's house. 
And this woman's tenderness stands in striking contrast to the treachery of the Jewish leaders and Judas. So we've got like this sandwich. We've got all this treachery and all this evil that's taking place uh, above Jesus and beneath Jesus. But right there in the middle is this tenderness of this woman. Uh, we, we, we read it here. And in Bethany, uh, it was in that house that she came and she poured that oil on Jesus. So, so we're uh, seeing more detail as you look at the other Gospels. You'll see in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through about 8, you'll see that this woman is named Mary. This is Mary of Bethany, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. Wow. So this is Mary, that one that Martha was complaining about at one time. You know, there she's at your feet, Jesus, and she's not helping out in the kitchen here, you remember. So, and and it doesn't, we don't know this for sure, but some theologians believe that maybe Simon is the father of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. You know, it's very possible that's the case because this was the house that he would stay in and, and so forth. So, so in these days, uh, when people would come together to eat, they would recline and eat their food in a reclined manner at, at that table that was low to the ground. I think we need to go back to that because I, many of restaurants, after I've eaten a little carbs, I'm always looking for a place I wish I could just lay down. And uh, any of you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like, man, I, that, that booth looks really comfortable right there. And I could just lay right here. Here it would be proper to do so as they're reclining around the table. And during this time, women were not allowed to interrupt the fellowship of Jewish men uh, except in the serving of food. Aren't we glad that Jesus came and redeemed the women? Amen. Lifted the women. Lifted the children too because children were not looked upon as very valuable until they became adults and could help out. Uh, and Jesus lifted the value of children as well. Let me tell you, everywhere Jesus goes and in every person that Jesus comes into their life, He lifts you. He lifts you. Maybe you've got a low place in your life right now. Invite Jesus. Let me tell you what, wherever it is, He's the lifter. He's the lifter of our head. Hallelujah. And He wants to lift you high. But here, Mary uh, demonstrates her devotion to Jesus, and she said, this may not be the proper thing to do in cultural times, but this is my Lord. This is my Lord. And, and she begins to uh, worship Him in this way. And Mark tells us that this woman brought an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, which is very costly. Now, now, nard was an expensive aromatic oil that was extracted from the root of an Indian herb uh, that was named nard. <laughs> it's like nard. It makes sense. It comes from nard. And in Jesus' time, such spices and ointments were used as investments, much like we would invest in gold today. Uh, and it made them, they were uh, portable and easily to move and, and take and hide and and, uh, and then to use when you would uh, need to sell some. So Mary, we see, broke the flask and she poured the nard over Jesus' head. And John gives us this detail in chapter 12, verse 3 of John's gospel. He says, she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, so this act of worship is going on on this very night that we're here tonight and we see that everybody wasn't happy that somebody had some extravagant devotion to Jesus. I remember back uh, in some of the revival services that I had preached before and back when I was in Bible college, I, I just, I mean, he who is forgiven of much has much to rejoice for and I just, you know, I'm like, I'd go into some of these places and I thought, who died? You know, who died? You, you, you called me in for a revival and everybody's sitting there so sad, so, so grim, so just like a cloud over you. And, uh, and I said, you know what? I'm here to represent light. I'm here to represent love. I'm here to represent the power of God. And I wouldn't hold back. I mean, I'd give them as much as I could give them, just like I'd give the, the shouting church that I just left. And I had one... Um, a leader of a church pulled me aside and said, when you come back tomorrow night, how about calm it down a bit? And I said, sir, excuse me. He says, if, when, if you come back, that's why he said, if you come back tomorrow night, how about calm it down a bit? 
And I said, sir, and I began to tell him what Jesus has done for me. And I began to just share. And I said, how can you, how can you hold that back? And he says, it don't take all that. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so, so I, I didn't experience what's going on here, but I have had folks tell me it don't take all that. Jesus, you know, it don't take all that. Yeah, he's good, but it don't take all that. I'd rather come some wildfire down than have no fire at all, okay? So here at Christian Embassy, you guys know, you can get, you can get a little uh, loud in here. You can get running and jumping. I don't care, you know. But if you get to hurting folks, I'm going to call you down, okay? And, uh, you know, but, but if you get too distractive to where we can't even study the Word of God, then I'll say, let's just calm it down a bit. But I tell you what, we need to show that from the true expression of our lives how grateful we are of our God and not let the norms of society tell us, well, this isn't just proper. They, the norm of this day was it's not proper for you women to come in here other than to serve us food. Don't say anything. And, and, and Mary says, you don't know what he's done for me. And I know what he's done for me. And I know what he means to me. And, and, and by the Spirit of God, she didn't even understand that he's about to be crucified. But the Spirit of God says he needs to be anointed. There needs to be an anointing for his burial here. An anointing on him uh, to fulfill the prophecy. So she's acting out of the Spirit-led uh, uh, activity there. Oh, God, lead us. I pray we would grieve not the Holy Spirit. That we'd be free to be prompted by the Holy Ghost. We'd be free to be to moved by the Holy Ghost. That we hear the voice of the Lord and He say, this is the way, walk therein. And we just begin to walk it by His voice and walk by His Spirit and live by His Spirit, not trying to fit in to whatever the trend is of the day or whatever is quote-unquote cool of the day. Let me tell you what, that cool, it has no, no uh, relief when it comes to hell. And Jesus has rescued me from hell. So I'm going to worship him. I don't care about your cool trends. Amen? So there were some, verse 4 says, that were indignant among themselves, who says, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, as they criticized her sharply, the Bible said. They became indignant. And they felt she's wasting this ointment. Mark tells us uh, some became indignant. Matthew tells us the disciples were indignant. John points it out even further and says Judas became indignant. So they all are upset, but Judas is probably the more vocal of them, uh, feeling like Mary is wasting the anointment. And in one sense, they didn't regard Jesus as worthy of such extravagant devotion. I pray... I pray tonight that not one of you would ever be guilty of this. That you would not see the value and the worth of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to where you would want to withhold some temporary stuff of this earth from Him. But that you would always ascribe to Him the glory and always ascribe to Him the honor and the power and the praise and all that He deserves and at all times. Because let me tell you what, there's no one like Jesus. No one like Jesus. And here they failed to comprehend how worthy Jesus is. And there they are. Listen to what the Hebrew write, the writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews 1, 2, and 3. He said, In these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Talking about Jesus here. Talking about Jesus, is He worthy? It was through Him that He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He who created the worlds, He who holds it all together is the one who came and shed His blood to pay off our sinful account, purging us of our sins and then being seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. I love in Revelation chapter 1, John says, And when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as dead. But He laid His right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first, and I am the last. I am He who lives. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and of death. 
Yes, he says, I have those keys. Let me tell you what, I got the authority the devil had over you. I took it back from him, and we know that he gave it to us. Hallelujah, that in his name we have power. He is worthy. And that's why the chiasmus that Paul wrote, remember a chiasmus is a form of literature. It's a, it looks like doorsteps going down. Form of literature would be like a hymnal. You know, a hymn, it, you know, we, we sing verse 1, we sing the chorus, we go to verse 2 and we sing the chorus, we skip verse 3, I don't know why, then we sing verse 4 and we go to the chorus. There's a structure of literature there of a hymn we understand and that's how we know we do. Well, there in the Greek is a chiasmus, which is a form of uh, literature and a structure of literature and it looks like doorsteps going down and then it on the other side has doorsteps or steps going back up and in this chiasmus we see in Philippians chapter 2 how that chiasmus is given in the revelation of the Holy Spirit through this Greek language that the Apostle Paul is writing in for here's Jesus he is God He's the one that created and He's the one that formed and He's the one that held it all together. But He laid all of that aside and He came and He stepped out of His realm of glory. He stepped out of His omniscience. He stepped out of His omnipotence. He stepped out of His omnipresence and He came as a man. He was doing this for you and me now. He came as a man. A man that would be dependent on the Holy Spirit just like you and I have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's why the whole account with John the Baptist before Jesus began His ministry is there when the Holy Spirit came upon Him and then the Holy Spirit begins to lead Him into His ministry. Let me tell you what. Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit as a man just like you and I depend on the Holy Spirit as a man. And He came not just as a man, uh, we read in Philippians 2, but He took another step down, but He was a man that was an obedient man and not just an obedient man but a man that was obedient like a slave even unto death he came and he was obedient even unto death but not just any death he took on the criminal's death he took on the electric chair of his day and he took on the death of the cross so he's all the way in the pit he's all the way in the muck and the mire why because that's where we were that's where Adam and Eve had put us and our sin had placed us but there he see hallelujah he reached out his hand and he said anyone who will come unto me come unto me I'm not going to judge you uh, by if whether you Jew or Gentile I've come for all of you if you will come unto me and if you'll come unto me then what happens the chiasmus continues therefore God has what exalted him so he's coming up out of the muck and the mire he's exalted him and he's given him a name the Bible says that at this name every knee has to bow in heaven on on earth and even under the earth. It's a name that there's no other name above this name. And every tongue must confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is exalted. But guess what? Where are you and where am I? If we took His hand, let me tell you what, He has raised us up with Him. We have been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places because of Him willing to come to us. And here the disciples, they missed His worth. They missed His value. How dare us today take on the sandals of the disciples and say our God is not worthy. You and I have a vantage point they did not have. They had the prophecies looking forward. They did have seeing Him fulfill the miracles. They did see Him fulfill the, uh, 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 the prophecies. They did even Zechariah 9 and 9. Him coming in on a colt that had never been ridden. They just witnessed this days before. They had seen all Him walk on the water and He even Simon the leper and heal the blind Bartimaeus and, and raise the dead. They've seen it. There's Lazarus there who had been raised from the dead. They're all in that room, but they missed his worth. They missed his value. Now we could say when you're looking ahead with prophecy that is some yet to be fulfilled, that is some grave maybe there. But let me tell you what, you and I have a different vantage point. Oh, we can look back and see how He has fulfilled every 300 of the prophecies that were foretold. We can go back with Scripture and see the proof of it. We can go back through archaeological studies and see that everything the Bible says is right there, just like the Bible says. We can go and study science. We can go and study history. We can go and study the Scripture. We can go and study the church age. And we can see, looking all the way back to now, 
with such more, much more clarity that we should be known as a people who worship the Lord. That we worship our God. That Jesus is the one whom we ascribe all honor and glory and power and majesty to. No other! No other idols will come between us and God because no dumb dead idol has ever done for us what our God has done. He is worthy. He is worthy. Hallelujah. And here they are saying this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded and criticized her sharply. Here's the disciples, especially the treasurer. Judas is quick to take out their calculator and estimate the cost of this ointment that could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Now, a denarii in this day and age, a denarius was a day's wage. So whatever your day's wage is times 300, that's almost a year's salary. So that's what we're looking at, the value. What do you make a year? You make 30, 40, 50, 70, 90, 100, by faith, 300, 500, with greater faith, a million a year, okay? I'm just trying to get your faith to rise up. You don't have to be stuck where you're at. You say, well, this is what retirement affords me. Well, let me tell you what. My God is bigger than your retirement. And He can bring a stream of income in that you had no idea was even available unto you if you just got faith to believe to receive. Don't limit God. You say, well, I work at this corporation and no one makes but this amount, so I can't go any higher. Let me tell you what. Don't let that corporation be your God. Jesus says, He teaches us in the Word that He's Jehovah Jireh. That our God's our provider, right? That corporation may be just one stream, and it may be the little stream, not the big river that He's yet wanting to tap into, you to tap into by faith. Hallelujah. So here they're like, you know, like they're limited here. When they're, they're sitting in the presence of he who raised Lazarus after four days in a tomb, you would think they would have gotten beyond this. But they're like, man, this is a year's salary. I've heard of some Christians who have given a month's salary away, but I don't know if anybody's given away a year's salary. Here they scolded her, criticized her sharply. The Greek word that they use here means that their nostrils flared with anger. Can you picture that? Their nostrils flared. I mean, that's how upset. You ever seen church folk get upset? Oh, yeah. Some of the meanest people I've ever met was church folk when they didn't have, when they didn't got out of walking according to the Spirit and went back to walking in the flesh. It's like they wanted to make up for lost time of walking in the flesh. <laughs> In those days, you know, very few women had careers that would have ever helped them earn that much money. So scholars think that this nard was probably uh, her inheritance that had been passed down. There had been many years that had been saved and it was like an inheritance that was passed down. And if that were the case, this, this offering was so much greater. It wasn't just the monetary value, but it was the sentimental value. It was, it was everything I am, everything I come from, everything that I have to represent that, that brought me to this place. I give it to you, Jesus. You're worthy. Because everything I am now and will ever be going forward is because of you, Jesus. And you deserve it all. You deserve it all. Wow. I think that is a beautiful story. Now, the best ointments were preserved in alabaster, which resembled like white marble. I got a little picture of it, of, of an alabaster bottle there for you there. It's kind of like white marble there. And it's usually a small bottle, and, and it was sealed to keep any of the ointment from spilling or evaporating and uh, breaking, breaking the opening uh, would, you know, to open the bottle would be the only way you could get it out, uh, to open it up. But we see that you know, because in that day and time when you arrive, and I thought this was funny, when you would arrive to someone's house and they'd wash your feet and they would also anoint you with a little oil. Now, I've done some traveling and I found out that everybody is not as conscientious and it's not just in other countries. I find it here in America as well of what we call B.O. Uh, as others are. And there must be a deafening and a dumbing to the nostril of those who choose to live with that uh, reckless life that they just don't pick up on it, but everybody else that comes around does. So I can only imagine that this practice was to help the meal be more palatable as you're reclining around the table a bunch of grungy men who have been sweating in this uh, hot climate 
And uh, so, but that was a practice of just a little bit. So when someone would invite you into their home, there was a lot of investment there. You know, food, there was investment in food and time and the hospitality. But also they would, and, and maybe everyone didn't have this expensive of oil, but they would use some type of oil to just, just to dabble do, but let's help freshen up the atmosphere a bit. It'd be like you come into people's house today and them handing you some uh, right guard or some old spice or say, could, uh, could you do a little spray uh, <laughs> under your arms before we're seated together here? But it was a common practice. And here, the Bible says that she didn't just, she goes beyond what's expected. She didn't just put a little dab, you do. She pours all of the oil on Jesus' head and then she breaks the alabaster flask which meant that uh, it could not hold anymore. In other words, she is giving extravagant devotion to Jesus and she's not wanting to take any of it back. I've seen people in a hype. I've seen people in a, in a very charged environment ready to give away everything to Jesus and walk right out of the doors. Everything calmed down and they want to start pulling it back in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? She said, no, I'm breaking the very container that holds it. I'm not going to catch any of this that is here on the floor that maybe have run into the basin here or anything. I'm letting it go. This is for Jesus. Oh, that our lives could be lived that way. That we would break the flask of our own selves saying, Jesus, I'm not... I remember preaching a revival once down near Charleston, on the out, outskirts of Charleston. And uh, this, this revival went on for weeks. And, and I was disturbed by this very heavyset gentleman uh, that sat on the back row. And uh, every time I'd have an altar call, he would come down. And he would make quite a show of it. And he would get loud, and that was okay. And I'd pray with him, and what do you want? What do you need? And I need to get saved. So I'd pray with him, and he'd get saved, and the whole church would shout, and we just had a great time. And the next night he came down, and I'm thinking, oh, he wants to get sanctified. Hallelujah. So I'm going to pray with him. You know, you want to be sanctified? No, I need to be saved. I said, okay, he had a bad day, and maybe he hadn't got rooted in this thing, and now with this teaching, he's going to understand. So I said, well, you know, you gave your heart and life to Jesus last night. Let's just go ahead and celebrate. Uh, you know, if you repent, if you sin today, let's you know, repent, but let's go ahead and celebrate that what Jesus has done for you. And we did and shouted. And all. The next night he came again. And after that service, I did, I'm like, I'm a little frustrated. I don't know what to do. So I go to the pastor and I say, with brother, you know, uh, Ray, or I forget his name now. It's like, oh, what's, what's up with this? He said, oh, he only comes to church three or four times a year. And every time he comes, he gets saved. And if he comes to revival, every night he comes, he's going to get saved. And, uh, and I said, well, I, we need to have a meeting with him and, and disciple him because he's definitely operating in, in a place of a lack of knowledge. And, and we did, and it went really, really well. And I trust that, that he continued to grow in the Lord. But what he would say, what he said to me is he says, when I get in here, I feel so good. I said, I know what you mean. He says... I, I get to praising when y'all praising and I feel so clean. I said, I know what you mean. He says, I'm a big man, but you know what? We get to shout and I feel so light. I said, I know, brother, exactly what you're talking about. And man, he says, but when I go home, he said, oh, hell breaks loose. And I start cussing and screaming and tantrum throwing just like I always do. And I was like, okay, here's where we got to work. Well, here, she broke it. She said, no, I'm not going back to the old. We're not going back to the old way. I'm going forward. I pray tonight some of you would say, you know, I need to break my alabaster box. My, my alabaster box, I need to break it. I need to stop being yo-yo in and out. I need to be in all the way, 100%. Jesus was in this 100% for me. I'm going to be in it 100% for Jesus. Would you say that right now? Jesus, I'm in this 100% for you. Hallelujah. So here she, she pours this costly oil out on Jesus, prefiguring Christ pouring out His precious blood for our sins. And, and, and we see that they're rebuking her and, and all of this. But Jesus says, let her alone. I love it. Jesus said, stop it. Let her alone. Why trouble her? She's done a good work for me. One translation says, takes it from the Greek, says, you've done a beautiful thing. She's done a beautiful thing for me. He defends the woman. 
And in the disciples' evaluation, the woman had wasted the ointment and wasted its value, but Jesus' assessment says she's done a beautiful thing. She's done a good work for me. And he commends her for her reckless devotion. That's why I love that song, Reckless Love. Oh my, that we would rise up beyond the, that what's cool and trendy and us just with reckless love and reckless abandon serve God and worship God and live for God and give to God and honor God and tell others about God. Jesus said to them, He says, for, for you have the poor with you always. You're worried about the poor. You're going to have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do good to them. But me, you do not have always. You're missing the moment. Now, Jesus is not in any way indifferent to the poor now. Uh, when He quotes from Deuteronomy 15 11 here, let me tell you why. He's not indifferent because you can go to Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and Matthew 9 and Luke 6 and Luke, 30, uh, uh, Luke uh, 21 and John chapter 13. and You can go throughout the Gospels and you can see the value and the care and the heart that Jesus had for those that were in poverty and how He was coming to reverse the curse and get the curse off of us to get the blessing on us so that we can have the blessing of Abraham that curse of poverty that comes from the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy, and him to come and bring abundant life. So Jesus is not being indifferent to the poor. He's just saying, you're missing the moment. The Son of God, your Passover lamb, is right here with you. I'm about to pour out my blood to wash your sins away. And here she is pouring out. The only thing she has of value, she's pouring it out. And just washing me with it. So Jesus alludes to, her, to, to his worth in this. Let me tell you, Jesus deserves the utmost love and devotion. Don't you agree? And the value of the gift demonstrates the value of a person. And here, her gift is saying, Jesus, you are worth it all. Oh, God, help us to get to that place. That we can say, Jesus, you're worth it all. I'm not withholding anything from you. And here the disciples, they failed to see it at this moment. We know after Pentecost that they did see it. And most of them died a martyr's death, except for John, in giving their life. So we know they did get it, but they didn't get it at this moment. And here she is doing all she could. That's what Jesus said in verse 8. He says, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Wow, she's done what she could. Jesus looks at what we give to him to see if we're giving what we can. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 8 and 3. He says, for they gave according to their means. As I can testify, and beyond their means, they were willing to give, and they did it from their own accord. Here in Mark's Gospel, Jesus affirms. Remember back in chapter 12, he affirmed the widow who gave the widow's might. And he says, out of those who gave out of their abundance, they gave a little, but it was more than what she gave, but what she gave was more valuable than what they gave because she gave out of her need. So Jesus looks at what we give to him. Sometimes the devil will tell us, you're serving the Lord and you're living for the Lord and you're sacrificing for the Lord and, you're, and it's all worthless. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. And you need to be reminded of that. Jesus looks at every little thing you do for him. And he looks at how we give, where we give. I mean, here she gave her all to him. Hallelujah. She prepared, in doing so, I don't even think she realized it. She's preparing his body beforehand for burial. Jesus says, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And on several occasions, I mean, many times Jesus told his disciples of his impending death. Peter even remembered after he got a revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the, you know, the, 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 the anointed one, the son of the living God. You know, then, he, then Jesus says, well, I've got to go. I've got to be crucified. I've got to go to Jerusalem. And Peter said, no! And Jesus, and Jesus says, Satan, get thee behind me. So they've had the discussion. They've had the teaching that Jesus was coming to live and to die and to pay our sin debt off, and to take back the authority the enemy had been given, and to give it back to mankind, build a church. He was going to rise victorious, and he was going to give us his Holy Spirit. But they missed it. They didn't. The prophecy to them that was still ahead. But here she is pouring out that expensive oil over his head, anointing his body, not even knowing it beforehand for, for burial. 
Her actions, the Bible tells us in verse 9, if you look at that last verse there, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you. Now, this is so important. Jesus said, Assuredly, verily, verily, I say unto you. This is so important. He said, Listen, 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 listen. Whatever, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And that's what we're doing here tonight. Here tonight, over 2,000 years later, we're looking at what Mary did. And Jesus said it would be done and told as a memorial to her. So what Jesus declared would happen is happening right here. His word is being fulfilled right here in our very presence. Our faithful and our loving actions towards Jesus will never be forgotten. Jesus says, I record them all and I reward them all. So here we're back to the sandwich. And there we've got the teachers of the law and we've got those, uh, those, behind those uh, priests all there trying to scheme and how can we do this without causing a revolt? We've got to kill him. And then underneath all of this, we've got Judas, the one who we meet eaten with. You remember the psalmist that gives us that prophecy that uh, how painful it is, how painful it is to have your friend that you had shared bread with, you had eaten with, betray you. And it was prophetically pointing to Judas, who not this night, but two nights later, would actually reject the bread that Jesus dipped and handed to him and walk away to fulfill this plan that he was setting up to betray him. Right in the midst of all this pain, right in the midst of all the devil's working, we see the work of God through this woman who says, I'm not going to be held back. I'm not going to be shut up. I'm not going to be locked out. This is my Savior. And he's worthy of praise. And he's worthy of honor. And he's worthy of glory. And I'm not just going to ascribe it to him, that easy verbal stuff. I'm going to sacrificially demonstrate what touches his heart. And I'm just going to break the very jar that holds what was so valuable to me so I cannot even take any of it back. I'm going to give it all to Jesus. Oh, that we would follow her example. That we would follow her example this night. As we're moving forward to Passover, our Good Friday, it's Good Friday for us because of what he did on that, that night, amen, or that day and that night, going into the grave, taking that blood being shed and cleansing us. But you know, you know, she was willing to give an extravagant devotion to him. Oh, God, help us to with eyes see and with an ears hear, Lord God, and with a heart believe. Truly believe your value. See who you are. Hear who you are. Know who you are. The worth, the value. You said if when we come around the table and we take the bread and we take the cup and in a worthy manner, we don't have to live a short life weak. We don't have to live a life where death comes to us early through sickness and disease. You said if we'll see the worth, of you, not the bread and not the fruit of the or the blood of the grape, but of you, Jesus, giving us your body and you, Jesus, shedding your blood to come and redeem us from the curse, to redeem us from the attacks of the enemy, and put us in a place of authority where we can take the armor of God and stand against the walls of the enemy. Stand against the plans of the devil. He's still going to come against you. Jesus said it. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life. And life more abundant. Let me tell you what. Oh, tonight help us to see. With all the devil's trying to do in our society. And he's trying to destroy. And he's trying to remove the very anointed one out of our, out of our focus to celebrate. We, we refuse to get caught up by the wind and the waves. We refuse to look at the storm and let our faith and our sight off of Jesus. We're going to look unto Jesus. He is our high priest. He is our redeemer. He is our healer. He is our deliverer. He is our restorer. 
He is the one to anoint us. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, tonight help us by your Spirit. Spirit of the living God, help us, Lord, to take our spectacles off and take some Holy Ghost Windex and clean them off. Oh, God, that we can have a clearer vision with a greater focus on who you are and whose we are. Lord God, that we would not have to be prompted, that we would not have to be in hype, that we would not have to be in a mode of celebration with those around us to know that you're worthy, that we can step up out of our beds in the morning or before we lay in our beds at night or walking through the, the challenges of our day, take a break and say, wait a minute, I'm just here to ascribe more glory to you, Jesus, more honor to you. I'm here to praise you, Jesus. You're worthy. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Lord God, that we would see with greater clarity from the example of Mary, this woman here tonight, what she has done that has come to us as a testimony even this night as you said it would. Let it inspire us. Let it challenge us. And let it also give us an example to live up to, to where we will worship you for who you are because you're well-deserving. Hallelujah. Now, God, I pray as we come to a close of this Bible study, you, Holy Spirit, would take what we've studied. Lord God, you would seal it in our minds and our hearts and our lives until the day of redemption. We know the fowl of the air is ready to come and take the seed of the Word, but God, I pray that this seed has found good soil. And Lord God, it will go into the hearts of these, your sons and daughters here tonight. And Lord God, it will spring forth and bring 30, 60, 100 fold to the advancement of your kingdom and to bring more glory and honor to you, I pray. Use each and every one of our lives as we recklessly abandon our lives unto you, Jesus, to live for you, to love you, to serve you, to honor you all the days of our lives. I pray everyone under the sound of my voice has made that commitment. Jesus, I am yours. And you are Lord over all. You are Lord over all. I don't know about you, but I love declaring that. Jesus, you are Lord over all. My Lord. My Lord. My Savior. My God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.